Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families and in this episode of Enterprising Families we're going to be speaking about purpose-driven family businesses and to discuss this I have with me Steve Schiffman and we're going to go into the importance of having purpose and why it can encompass the success of a business as well as cause the failure of a business if we don't really identify purpose and put that at the center of how we run our family-owned businesses. Welcome, Steve. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. And I would just like to offer you the opportunity to introduce yourself to my audience so that they have an idea of who you are and where you're coming from. Well, you are speaking to me in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is where our corporate headquarters happens to be located here in the U.S., but Michaelman, which is the company that I'm proud to run and uh, be a third-generation shareholder of, is a, we like to say, purpose-driven, generational, people-first, family business. We've been around for about 73 years as a company, and we're planning for the next 73. I represent the third generation of our family's ownership in the business, and we like to say that we're building it for the fourth, fifth, and sixth generation, many of whom aren't born yet. So Michaelman is in the specialty chemical space, which I know is a very broad category, but our purpose as a company is to innovate a sustainable future. And we do that through specialty chemicals, but they're sustainable technology. And we generally win when we replace bad stuff with good stuff. And um, our, our market happens to be industrial, but we do a lot of work as a company in printing and packaging, particularly digital printing and the circular economy right now. So a lot in recyclable, renewable packaging. We have a big business globally in the glass carbon fiber industry or composite materials. And so in that business, we work very hard to lightweight automobiles and airplanes and and help to create greater fuel efficiency so we burn less carbon fuel. And uh, on top of that, we also have a big business in in what we call coatings, which is for a variety of other industries. And so there we might be involved in paints or inks or polishes or agricultural coatings. So I can go on and on. Michaelman, as I said, specialty chemicals, third generation family. We are about 50% United States business. The balance of our business happens globally. We have facilities and people throughout Europe and Asia. Um, we do a little business in Africa, but I'd sure like to do more because I love my time in Africa. So that's a bit about Michaelman. Wow. I think what really got me was the 73 years and planning for three more generations. Um, as you may or may not know, um, on the African continent, we have been struggling with getting that multi-generational conversation going. Uh, most African family businesses tend to flounder when it comes to transferring from your founder gen to your next gen, and almost 98% of them fail to transition from one generation to another, which is quite shocking um, compared to the global statistics of um, 30% succeeding to, to transfer. 
how did you guys manage to go through 73 years and three generations? Because even when you hear the proverbs that are out there that are quite common, it's shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. But at three generations, you're planning for three more. Yeah. So, and that's, that's the right question. And, and so some more statistics, something like five to 10% of family businesses make it to the third generation, right? So that 30% mm-hmm. number is from G1 to G2. When you start talking about G2 to G3, of course, the numbers diminish. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I think that the most important word that I would suggest here is intentionality. Um, these kinds of generational transitions in my experience, and it's my both my personal experience, but also my experience with other family owners and, and doing a lot of research and knowing the marketplace pretty well, is that generational transitions don't happen just because they happen because you want them to happen. Now, even if you want them to happen, as you know, they don't always happen because um, I like to say often that it's often the businesses that are doing fine, but the families explode, you know, and um, and I've been the CEO of our company for 19 years now, and we're in the process of, of conducting a very orderly transition to my successor, which we can certainly talk about if you'd like. Mm-hmm. But I would say that over the 19 years of my time as a CEO, I don't know what the percentage is, but a significant amount of my time personally has gone into managing family dynamics and family relationships. And I don't care what kind of entity you run, if you're running a public company or a private equity company, you're managing constituent shareholders, right? That's just part of a CEO's job. Mm-hmm. But with a family, uh, sometimes I joke that the people that you're arguing with on Thursday, you're having Sunday brunch with also. And so it takes a great amount of attention, care, and intentionality mm-hmm. to make sure that the family relationships remain positive and dynamic and robust because it's 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 in that relationship, I believe, that will determine whether or not to a great deal you'll successfully transition from generation to generation. Absolutely. And I think um, one of the one what you just said about being the CEO and intentionally working through a transition, knowing that it, it has to happen, when planning out when it's supposed to happen and then acknowledging and going through the process, it's one of the difficult things I've seen um, that a lot of people struggle with. And I think more so on the African continent, we've seen it even in government, governments where you have longstanding governments staying in power because that transition is not happening. First, my first question there would be, how did you get to a place as a family where you all agreed that this transition must happen and that it's for the good of the family and not allowing whoever is leading the company at that point um, to, to grow a big head and say, it can't work without me. That's right. Well, there's, there's an awful lot in that question. So maybe we can unpack a little bit. Mm-hmm. I once read, and I think this is true, that a CEO should be planning for her or his transition the day after they take the job as CEO. And it's hard because almost nobody becomes the CEO without having a healthy ego, right? We all think that we're pretty yeah. good at what we do or else we wouldn't have done the work that it's taken to become the CEO. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, we have to say, 
you know, I'm here because I deserve it and I do a good job. On the other hand, we have to also say, but you know what, we all have a sell by date, or we all have a date where it's probably time for someone else. And I started thinking about my transition from this role, I would say 10 years ago, I mean, in earnest, but I didn't have a date in mind. I always knew it would be sort of around this time. I'm 63, I'll be 64 in January, but you know, 64 is the new 44. I'm fit, I'm curious, I'm healthy, I'm engaged. I could, I think I could do this for another 20 years, but I also know that, that institutions, this is me speaking, I'm an N of one, so I'm giving you my point of view, but I think it's probably shared by many. Institutions, regardless of how successful they are, benefit from having fresh cold eyes from time to time and fresh enthusiasm and energy for the business. And so in our case, being a family owned business, it was our objective if possible, to have another family member lead our business. So I like to say that in a perfect world, a family member leads our business, but it's not always perfect in this world. Luckily, I have two cousins in my generation who are both exceptionally skilled, talented, hardworking, and committed professionals, one of whom is going to succeed me. And, and so we knew that we had the right talent, but it took a lot of preparation, right? We had to spend a lot of time preparing him to take the role. And that meant in our case, a lot of different job assignments, a lot of community engagement roles, learning different leadership from different styles, a professional coach. We believe in coaching in our business, mm -hmm. uh, lots of mentoring from me. And, and then the reality is that no one's ready when they take the job, because how can you be until you do the job for a while? But you, you wanna make sure that people are ready enough to step in, I think. So maybe I'm not answering your question about knowing when. In my case, um, I, I just felt like for the best opportunity for our family business, which we are evergreen, we wanna be around forever, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. having good, strong, capable leadership with enthusiasm to take the business to the next level is essential. And I never wanted to have it done to me. I wanted to do it to myself. I wanted to make sure that I was in charge of transition. Mm -hmm. uh, one, one more comment and I'll, I'll stop because I can talk about this forever and I don't want to bore your listeners. Every CEO one day is no longer the CEO. Mm -hmm. The question is, how does that CEO go about transitioning? And, and by my reckoning, there are only four or five ways that a CEO leaves their office. They're fired. <laughs> uh, they die in office. They do something illegal and get arrested. Um, they stick around too long and drive the business into the ground. So the business ceases to be viable. Mm -hmm. Or they can be intentional about making sure that the business outlives them and then they're thoughtful about bringing the right CEO in. So if I start from the premise that no matter how good I am, one day I'm gone, I'd sure rather be in charge of my own transition, both for my own satisfaction, but more importantly, for this business that my family and I own. Mm -hmm. and, and so I want it to be successful beyond me. And so therefore, that's why we were really thoughtful about planning for this transition and, and putting a lot of work in and preparing not just the successor, we can talk about leadership ecosystems if you want also, mm -hmm. because I never felt like it was really all about me as the CEO. Yes, I think I'm a good CEO and the CEO role is important, but it's really more important to have a dynamic team of leaders mm -hmm. around the CEO. And so I wanted to make sure that not only was my successor ready for the transition, but that the leadership ecosystem was also ready because he's a different human being. He'll lead differently and he needs different things than his partners. Mm -hmm. So, so making sure that the whole thing was, was well thought about and well managed was really important to us. 
I've talked too long. I'll stop for a second. Not at all. Um, it's incredible hearing your story from someone who's sitting in a seat and working through a transition with a team, which is part family and part business as well, and um, who also understands the intricate dynamics because you also had to step into the seat of CEO from someone who had to vacate the seat. So it shows that, like you said, the one word that has been most powerful since you, you began talking is intentionality. I find that a lot of times we plan out so much and with companies, we like to project based on the data we have. In families, we don't really project. We just pretty much embrace what is happening, the change and the transitions. But when you then bring family and business and it has to work hand in hand, that word intentionality makes it even more pertinent. How do you or how did you as a family manage intentionality? Hmm, that's a really good question. So I'm going to create a parallel path and come to the intentionality for a moment. We're very much a values, values-based business. We have six core values. We try very hard to make our, our decisions based upon those values. And people will ask me occasionally, how did you come up with the values? And my answer is I didn't. It was more of an excavation process. And my predecessors never used the term values, but they lived them every day. And so what, what, what I've done with my leaders is put words to them, put names to them and, and behaviors around them, and then tried to make sure that they were in sharp focus for the rest of our organization. I raised that because I think it's the same with intentionality. When I became the CEO, well, first when I joined the family business, well before I became the CEO, then when I became the CEO, I don't think we ever used the word intentionality, but it was in the air, right? We, we loved having the business in the family and we wanted to keep it in the family. And I was kind of the next guy up at the time and, and that kind of thing. I think what, what we have done now that we're a much larger, much more global, much more professional business than when I inherited, it was quite successful without me, but we're just a different, more mature business now using words like intentionality and having processes around intentionality now are, are, are more important because we have a lot more people and, and there's a lot more at stake. So I think what we did is we gave shape to the intentionality that was already in the woodwork of the business. You know, it was already sort of floating around the business. Gosh, our family loves the business. Gosh, our family would like to keep the business. We put some structure around it and started saying out loud that our family proudly owns this business. We want to keep it in the business or in the family. We believe there's a value to not just our family, but to society by keeping this business in our family. Therefore, if we believe that we're making the world a better place by keeping it in the family, here's our intentionality around how we're going to do that and why it's important for us to have both family leaders, but also family stewards of the business. And so again, it was an excavation process. I, I don't want to take the credit for it as much as giving shape to it now in this more sort of contemporary time of ours in a more complicated environment that we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. And let's shift a little bit and focus on the business side of things. When um, you were introducing yourself and the incredible work your family has done and the incredible work you have done, you mentioned that you have been a people first business, uh, 
business driven by people. And even as um, you answered the last question, you mentioned that as a family, you believe that you your business creates value, not only for your family, but for the people it serves and the people that work in it. And from our conversations, you have repeated that quite a number of times. Can you probably unpack that box for us and, sure. and, and, and dig a little deeper about the importance of people and purpose for business success? It's my favorite topic to talk about. And what my staff will tell you that regularly in talks or writing I do to the organization, I'll remind people of the following. Mike Lemon has phenomenal intellectual property. We have a recognizable brand in the industries we serve. We've got great physical assets. We've got a very healthy balance sheet. And many people with whom we compete have their version of the same. But what they don't have are our people and they don't have our purpose and they don't have the values that we like to operate within. And so it's really pretty easy to find people today who have skills in the world. I mean, it's hard to hire around the world. We're all dealing with, with people challenges, but generally speaking, it's pretty easy to find good accountants, good chemists, good finance people. It's harder to find those people who also share your purpose, live your values, and behave in a way that's consistent with the culture that we're trying so hard to continue to build in our organization. That's the magic. The magic is finding talented people who also are the people you want to do business with every day. And that's been something we've focused on over many, many years. I'm really proud to say we've attracted some amazingly talented people to join our team who have left a lot of name brand organizations around the world because there's something special about how we're trying to go about doing it, I believe. From an external standpoint, you know, I've said this and I've shared this with you before in our conversations and I've written a bit about this and I know it sounds perhaps a little hyperbolic or maybe a bit grandiose, but I really believe passionately that purpose-driven generational people first family businesses like ours, and there are many, by the way, I don't think that we're alone, although we're in sort of rare air. I believe that businesses like ours change the world for the good. What I mean by that is that, yes, I think we're putting great products in the marketplace. I think we're solving big industrial problems. But, but I'd say even more importantly, people who are part of our organization, whether they're our associates or customers or people that we come in contact with, if they go home a little better at the end of the day because they feel like they've helped to fulfill a purpose, if, if they've been able to engage with other associates who share their values, if they're engaging in communities around the world where we do business, they go home a little better than they came in in the morning. And they're probably better parents, better partners, better football coaches, more philanthropic to local organizations, right? Better neighbors. If people are happy and feeling a sense of fulfillment, not only are they doing good work for their company, but they're carrying that with them. There are knock-on effects. Right? Not every day. We don't get it right every day. You know, the world's not perfect. But I really believe that businesses like ours can help to make the societies better because the associates who work with us aren't just doing it to make my family more money. Hey, we're investors. We like to get a return on our investment, but that's just part of it, right? We're trying to also make the world better. If we really were just all for the money, we should probably sell the business. But, but we, we love the fact that we can stay in this business, really impact the people and the planet. We measure three bottom lines in our business, people, planet, and profit. 
And we really are trying hard to be a positive force in the world. It's hard sometimes, and we don't always get it right, but that's, that's what drives us. Yeah, and that's incredible because I think sometimes as companies, we focus on just skill, who brings the best skill to perform a function within the business that will help the business grow. But from what I get from you, you're hiring not only based on skill, but also passion and alignment, alignment with where you want to take the company, um, what the values you have as a family, as well as a company. And also the fact that when someone joins the Michaelman group, they join a family. It becomes, they become an extension of the work that you're doing, an extension of the vision and the values that you have. And it fills them up. And I think that's one of the things that uh, that has been a buzzword or something people have been talking a lot about, but not necessarily always being able to, to uh, embrace. It's, it's becomes lip service. How have you managed to attract the right skill and the right skill that aligns with your values and your purpose? Yeah. It's a, it's a work in progress. Um, we don't always get it right. It's hard to, uh, I guess, American sports slang for baseball. It's hard to bat a thousand, right? But, but I'll use my, my word again of intentionality. Mm-hmm. We can't leave it to chance. And some of the things that we've tried very hard to do, when we get it right, here are the things that, that work for us. I mentioned the values of the organization, and we've created teams of people in the organization to do interviewing and hiring on a values basis, not just a skills basis. So for example, I'll give you a recent example. There was a, a role we were hiring for a global role, very high level role, very important role in the organization. Mm-hmm. And I would, was talking to the gentleman after we'd hired him because he's not my report and, and it's a time of COVID. So I, I never had a chance to meet him in person. Mm-hmm. And I asked him why he chose to come work for us. And he told me that the first interview he had, he got off the interview and he went immediately said to his wife, there's something different about this place because the senior HR leader who was interviewing him is the sort of first point of contact, spent two thirds of their first hour digging deeply into how he gives back in the community where he lives. Giving is one of our values. And she was more interested in his his philanthropic work and his giving work then she said, look, I can read your resume and I can look at all the references. I know you have the skills we're looking for, mm-hmm. but what I'm looking for is, is do you want to work in our organization? And so more people were interested initially to really dig into how he fit our values profile. Of course, we had to go deep into his skills because it was a skills-based role. But once, once again, back to what I said a moment ago, it's relatively easy to find a resume full of great skills and accolades and, and degrees that people have. Mm-hmm. But did he also bring the other stuff? And, and fortunately he did, he does. He's thrilled to be with us. We're thrilled to have him. But he was just blown away by the, because usually the first interviews are, tell me about your patents. Tell me about, you know, these kinds of things. And we always said, we'll get to that. But we wanted to really find it out about the person first. And so the more we can make hiring cross-functional, mm-hmm. so it isn't just left to a functional group, the more we can make it values-based and I, I don't want to diminish the skills because we always have to have the right skills, but Absolutely. we'll get to those once we've established that it's a person we want to have in the organization. Because if I look back in retrospect at mistakes we've made in the past, 
rarely have we made a hiring mistake where the person who we brought in just didn't have the skills for the job. Generally, when it hasn't worked, there's been some kind of a values or behavior misalignment. And, and so we're trying really hard to get that stuff right. Again, we don't get it always right, but if we're intentional about it, we're gonna be more right than we're gonna be wrong in that case. And then people see us doing that, then they join the organization and they know that's important to us. And when they're going to fill up their team, they're carrying that forward again. Mm-hmm. We also try really hard to be clear with our company around decisions that we make uh, and, and then tie them to perhaps the values or behaviors that led to those decisions. So we, we have to part ways with people We'll always work not to embarrass the individual going out the door, but it's going to be clear that there was some kind of a misalignment mm-hmm. in how that person behaved and how we expected them to behave. And, and if, you know, we've had some bad business decisions on some of the businesses we've gotten into, and we'll try to make it clear that that was a misalignment with our purpose, right? That in retrospect, we missed on that one. So the more transparent and humble we are about where it goes wrong, that also helps to point out for our folks what right looks like. Mm. And just judging from that answer, um, purpose is one of the strongest um, values or thought processes or roles that you believe in as a leader, as well as your family and your business. How has purpose been key to the success of your family, your intentionality, and your business? Well, there's a lot there. Um, I'll start with the business because it's the easiest, mm-hmm. but ultimately the family and the business values should probably be in alignment. Mm-hmm. We have so many opportunities today in business about what to invest in, where to put our resources, but by always keying back to purpose, it helps us to make sure that we are putting our resources and our opportunities behind the things that matter the most to us. Our purpose, as I said earlier, is to innovate a sustainable future and deepen that as sustainability. And we're really trying hard to do our part to make the world a bit greener out there. And we, I mean, that, that guides where we invest and that guides us towards who we hire, that guides us towards business opportunities that we're prepared to take. And as I said a moment ago, if I look back in the last number of years when we've had some things that didn't go well for us, oftentimes it's because there was a misalignment now in retrospect between that investment and and purpose. We kind of talked ourselves into thinking that it supported the purpose, but really it it didn't, you know? Mm -hmm. And so by being clear about what we stand for and about what our place in the world is, And then also being clear about how we measure success. I mentioned before the triple bottom line of people, planet, and profit. That really helps us to frame the decisions we make Mm -hmm. and marshal our limited resources as well as we can. I don't don't care how big one gets. I mean, even Amazon has limited resources. It seems like they're unlimited, but at some point they'll run out of resources, right? So how do we make sure that we're picking the right things to put our resources against? Uh, I'd say from a family standpoint, what's really cool to watch now is as my children's generation and some of the other shareholders are coming of age, as they're becoming more mature, they're all educated, they, they were all raised sort of knowing the business, and they, they challenge us sometimes if they think that some of the things we're doing might be misaligned, or if they don't get it, they want to know how does this support sustainability? How does this support human rights, for example? Are we investing in the right places, doing the right things? And and so by having shareholders 
family members who know that it's about more than just dividend checks, that it's about something bigger. Now, all of a sudden, the shareholders become better stewards for our business because they're asking tough questions and our employees, our associates know that the shareholders are aligned with us. Mm -hmm. And so we create great alignment, both between the shareholders and the company, the shareholders and our board, the board and our executives, the more we can spend time making sure that we're all clear about this purpose, then it creates less friction in the system. And we're all pointing at the right targets and using our resources the right way. Um, again, it doesn't always work, you know, because we're all a bunch of human beings and because it takes effort to do it. But when it works, this is what it looks like, this alignment. Mm. And I think my, my final question for today would be looking into the future and looking at projecting three generations in, what do you think are some of the strongest takeaways or the strongest um, words of advice you would give to your third generation from you in terms of where you've come from the, the values and the purpose and the intentionality, as well as um, the strides that you've made to, to, to take the company to where it is now. And um, what can they learn from, from this that will help them? Well, there's a lot there. I'm willing to bet mm -hmm. that two generations or three generations from now, some of the products that we're selling to some of the markets that we sell them to would look different mm -hmm. for sure. Because what we're doing today, although generally the same is different than what it was a generation or two ago, but what's not changing is mm -hmm. the purpose of our business and the values. Mm -hmm. And if we can remain committed to that purpose and to those values, but be willing to change everything else, mm -hmm. the business will grow and thrive well into the future. Um, another thing that I, I, I want our next generations to take away is that I like to say that I'm smart and my other family members in the business are smart, but we're not that smart. And we're only successful because we have really smart, capable, committed people who are our associates in our business who aren't members of our family and treating them with the respect that they deserve and making sure they're well engaged in the business, well compensated, well respected, all those things are super important because we can only be successful in the future by being people first, by really engaging the people who are part of our business and by, by making sure that they get the respect and the support and the opportunity that they deserve. And, and then, you know, that also doesn't, it's not impacted by necessarily the markets we're serving or the products we're making. It's just, again, the values and the, and the purpose of the business, right? So, you know, it's all about people. It's all about respect. It's about empathy. It's about making sure that we're doing our best to be positive forces in the world, you know? And if we do all that, we'll continue to do quite well financially, right? The financial results are because of the people on the planet. They're not, you know, we don't do people and planet as an afterthought, right? That if that's our focus, we're going to get rewarded appropriately in the marketplace. And so I think those are the lessons that I, I'd like to continue to leave to those who are coming behind us. Just like we're trying to live this because the folks that came before us did the same thing, right? This is, this is what makes us 
who we are, I think. As I said, great technology, great brand, great balance sheet, great resources, but most great businesses have that. Our differentiator is this, this notion of purpose and our sense of alignment to the values of, of our organization. Thank you so, so much for this discussion, Steve. It's been so enlightening. And I hope um, a lot of families that are listening to this will take away a lot of lessons that will be able to get them started on the journey or wherever they are in the journey, be able to carry on. Well, it's been my pleasure. And I love talking about this because it also then forces my associates and my shareholders to make sure they're holding us accountable to live against this. If I talk about it out loud, then we have to live it, don't we? And sometimes, sometimes we all fall a bit short, but we try to always then revert right back to this stuff. And thanks for giving me the airtime. It's really been a pleasure. Thanks for your great work. Thank you.